0: The 18th century writer Joseph Addison wrote Man is a sociable animal and we take all occasions and pretenses of forming ourselves into those little nocturnal assemblies which are commonly known as clubs. And in the classic tales of P.G. Woodhouse we see the bumbling young rich Englishman Bertie Wooster forever saved from whatever scrape or unsuitable engagement he finds himself embroiled in by his valet, Jeeves. These stories, first appearing in 1915, and they stay locked in a time frame between then and around 1925. They're both members of gentlemen's clubs. Worcester, the Drones Club, and Jeeves, ones for valets, called the Junior Ganymede Club. And one of the first things they like to do when returning to London from foreign climes is a visit to their clubs, catch up with their friends and get the gossip. Clubs like these have been part of the London landscape for hundreds of years and today we'll look at some stories from them. Hi and welcome back to the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I'm Steve, your host, and it's another History by episode. The only club I ever belonged to when I was a youth was a Subutio club. But my fledgling career as Scotland's greatest ever Subutio champion came to an abrupt end with the discovery of females. And as Nick Hornby sagely said in his classic novel, high fidelity. What? One moment, they weren't there. Well, not in any form that interested us. And then, then you couldn't miss them. And they'd grown breasts. And with that, I was too distracted to belong to any uncool clubs. As an adult, I'd been a member of probably nothing more exciting than snooker clubs. So, for me to understand clubs is perhaps understandable for me to turn to literature and history books. In Around the World in 80 Days, Phileas Fogg starts ends his journey in the Reform Club. Incidentally, once a year in September, some places in London open their doors to visitors and I got to tour the Reform Club. It really is a beautiful old building. In the Sherlock tales, his brother Mycroft Holmes belongs to the fictional Diogenes Club, which is a strict rule of silence. And in the Bond stories, M is a member of the fictitious Blades. Gentlemen's clubs like that of Mycroft and Bertie Wooster belong are the sort of elitist clubs that you'd probably want to avoid these days. unless you want to mix with entitled Boris Johnson types. But by the middle of the 19th century, London alone had over 400 of these kind of clubs catering for every profession and interest. Gentlemen's clubs were private places that were designed to allow men to relax, create friendships with other men. In the 19th and 20th centuries, Clubs were regarded as a central part of elite men's lives. They provided everything a regular home could have. Clubs were created and designed for a man's domestic needs. They were places to relieve stress and worries. They provided emotional and practical needs. They provided spaces such as dining halls, libraries, entertainment, games rooms. Rooms for sleeping, bathrooms, washrooms, study rooms. In many ways, they resembled a regular home. And the clubs had separate entrances for maids and the help, which were usually located on the side of the building that was not easily seen to the public eye. Many clubs had long waiting lists, sometimes as long as 16 years. And there's no standard definition. For what's considered a gentleman's club. Therefore, historically, there've been clubs for literally everyone. And these are the ones I enjoy digging into old books and present for your enjoyment. And if that enjoyment makes you think I deserve a jug or two of ale, you can find my coffee details on today's show notes or Twitter page. Donate enough for a pint or two and slate the Scotsman's thirst. Ned Ward, in his 1709 book, The Secret History of London Clubs, tells us about a beggar's club. He describes them as old-bearded hypocrites, wooden-legged implorers of charity, limping dissemblers, sham-disabled seamen, blind, gunpowder-blasted mumpers, and all broken-limbed labourers. And they got together weekly in a pub in Old Street, and according to Ward, as soon as they started drinking alcohol, the ailments they appeared to have been afflicted with evaporated. It was like a magical cure for all medical conditions. Quote, By the virtue of Tipple, the pretenders to the dark are restored instantly to their sight. Those afflicted with faint sickness recover perfect health, and others stretch their legs without their crutches, their crippled legs and arms taken out of slings, and return from their cramping postures to the ease and liberty. We read about some incredible clubs in Peter Aykroyd's London biography. The Mock Heroes Club met in an alehouse in Baldwin Gardens, where each member would assume the name of a defunct hero. In 1669, Harry Blunt formed the Lion Club at the Bell Tavern in Westminster. Harry Blunt was said to be a witty gentleman with an innate ability to deceive in the most artful and convincing ways. And the rules for being a member of the Lion Club was that no true word was to be uttered during any of its proceedings. There was a man-killing club, which met in a tavern in a back alley, adjoining St Clement Dane's, and it admitted no one to the membership, who had not killed another man. There was also a humdrum club, composed of gentlemen of peaceable dispositions, who were satisfied to meet in a tavern, smoke their pipes, and say nothing till midnight when they all went home. The Everlasting Club was so called because its hundred members divided the twenty-four hours a day and night amongst themselves in such a manner that the club was always sitting. No person presumed to rise until he was relieved by his appointed successor. In a club that you might be embarrassed to be a member of, would be the Farting Club of Cripplegate, where members met once a week to poison the neighbourhood and with their noisy crepitations attempted to outfart one another. The Calf's Head Club was formed after the death of Charles I of England in 1649 with the sole purpose of making fun of the dead. Every January 30th, the club members would sit around a well-stocked table with an axe hovering over it. They served a the calf's head, supposed to symbolise the head of Charles, and toasts were given and glasses in the shape of skulls. The Four Horse Club was for boy racers of its day. Founded in 1807, the members of this club gathered for a spin in their horse-drawn buggies. And leaving from Cavendish Square, they drove in procession to a pub 20 miles from the city where they would dine, spend a pleasant evening and then drive back the following day. The rules of the club were very strict. Only baroches were permitted, painted yellow. Harnesses had to be silver mounted and the horses had to wear rosettes. Drivers wore coats that reached their ankles with three tiers of pockets and mother-of-pearl buttons as large as five-shilling pieces. Their waistcoats were blue with yellow stripes an inch wide. They wore breeches of plush with strings and rosettes to each knee, and it was fashionable that the hat should be three and a half inches deep in the crown. Very strict, too, were the rules of the bi-weekly outings held in May and June, The order of the procession was always the same, and members had to keep to a strict trot and not attempt to pass each other. There was a high-class sex club called the Aphrodites, and it was founded in London in the 18th century. Men had to pay the exorbitant price of £10,000 for elite membership, and women, for the same membership, got in for half price. And although I couldn't find any information to what that entitled them to, it was clearly a club that catered for more than just elite members. And we know of the club because one woman member kept a diary of her exploits over a 20-year period and it's telling both in her promiscuous behaviour and her voracious sexual appetite. Incredibly, she records sexual encounters with, quote, 4,959 partners, including 93 rabbis, 288 commoners, 119 musicians, 342 financiers, 439 monks, 420 society men, 117 valets, 47 Negroes, and 12 cousins. And lastly, In the United States, from the middle of the 19th century to the beginning of the 20th century, we saw the creation of many of these clubs. They were fat man clubs. And with the slogan, we have to be nice, since we can neither fight nor run, these clubs welcome people over 90kg. They could also recognise each other thanks to secret handshakes and words of specific past. The New England's Fat Man's Club, founded in 1903, had over 10,000 members. They of course dined during meetings, and the menus of the time would ensure that these members stayed within the weight requirements. And a typical meal would consist of the following. Oyster cocktail. Cream of chicken soup. Boiled snapper. Fillet of beef with mushrooms. Roast chicken, roast suckling pig, shrimp salad, steamed fruit pudding with brandy sauce, cakes, cheese, and ice cream, with coffee and cigars to finish. Well, that's it for another episode of the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I hope you enjoyed that one, and, till next time, bye-bye.